Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. All right. Thank you for that wonderful welcome. Hope you still feel the same way when I'm done. It's been really great uh, doing this series. We love doing series. We love walking through the books of the Bible. Um, And we've been doing, we've been walking through the second book of Corinthians. And it's really not a book because books are like chapters and titles and it's, it's a letter. So the epistles of the apostle are letters. Epistles means letters. And that's how they communicated to the church. And I'm sure if they had Facebook and, and Zoom, they would be using those opportunities. But all they had was writing. And actually, it was great because we have their writings. And it's inspired. It said the entire Bible is inspired by God. These letters were greatly inspired. And God used these vessels uh, to bring us a word that we can continue to build our lives upon. So it's, it's been wonderful, and I hope you have been following it. And if you haven't been here, I would ask you and encourage you to watch all the other, either, either go to our, um, our YouTube channel and watch them or go to SoundCloud and listen to them so you can hear the whole, the whole entire series. And I also encourage you to read the book of Corinthians while we're doing this. Um, so before I start, my chapter now is chapter 7, but before I start chapter 7, I want to give a little more background and contact, uh, content context of what we've been going through and what the other chapters, which are just the earlier parts of this letter, are talking about. Often as Christians, we just pull out scriptures and use them to quote, to encourage ourselves. But we really need to learn the whole Bible contextually to grow, to understand. So I'm going to first share some of the prevailing themes that are being expressed in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Um, first, uh, I, want to, I want to share these common threads. So on one of these prevailing themes is hardship. Paul has talked a lot about hardship, suffering, trouble, trials, all which are a part of life. But for him was even more than just a part of ordinary life, but a part of living for God and serving his kingdom. And so even for us, hardships are a part of life, but there's even greater hardships we experience as we serve God. We have a a mutual enemy. His name is the devil. He has lots of names, prince of this world, um, Beelzebub, uh, Lucifer, which was his given name by God. So he has lots of names, but he's real. He hates us. So it's just something that you realize when you become a Christian. That's okay. It means that you're in the right place. So um, those that are pioneers in bringing the gospel, those that are overseers of the church experience a great deal of hardship on many fronts. So Paul was experiencing double portion hardships, which he was sharing very candidly with the church. Um, but he also talks about the benefits of hardship, that it builds endurance, that, that it makes us examples to others who watch us go through it. it. It causes us to learn dependency upon God. We're comforted by God as we depend on him in the hardship. And as we experience God's comfort, we're able to give that same comfort to others. In fact, according to what Paul is saying, it appears that you receive endurance without yet going through all my hardship just by watching me. So you're welcome. And the truth is that I have received great endurance and encouragement by just hearing of the sufferings of Paul and his hardships, the sufferings of Moses as he led the church, as he led the people of God through the wilderness. So it it really helps To see, to hear, and to know, it gives us strength when we see others endure through hardship. It gives us strength. Um, So we all can give each other strength in that way. You know, we don't want to just show our Facebook face, you know, um, or Instagram face where everything looks great. Uh, But we want to be able to share with each other the reality of our hardships so that we can encourage each other. It's not showing that there's something wrong with our Christian walk if we are struggling. 
It's real to all of us, and we need to share those realities and support each other. So one of the things Paul said was, we are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So therefore, God uses hardship in our life, and we've learned that. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as, your, as you help us by your prayers. So even in this scripture, and this is a quote from earlier in the letter, it's so important that you pray for the overseers of your church. If you are a part of Res Church, that you pray for us as your pastors. And not only those who oversee Res Church campuses, but those who oversee all the churches. In my prayers, I pray for all the pastors of the churches of our city that I, that I live in and that I love. I pray for all the pastors across this nation, especially in these really challenging times. Uh, we pray for those that are pioneering new territory for God. We pray for those that are missionaries that, or serving God and being persecuted for him in countries where they're suffering a whole lot more than us. So it's important our prayers matter. Our prayers make a difference. So keep praying for us. Uh, and another quote of Paul earlier in this letter is he said, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. I love this. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is so awesome. So encouraging. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, another benefit, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So this is a posture that we need to take in hardship. We cannot fall apart. We understand how we have to keep our eyes fixed on the purpose, fixed on the prize, why we do what we do, and it keeps us pressing on. Paul also writes in this letters about the promises of God that are yes and amen. And I love this because the promise is from Jesus saying yes. It's yes. It's spoken by Christ. But the amen is spoken by us. The yes comes from Jesus. The amen comes from us. He establishes the promise and assures it. But then we have to agree with it, declare it, and receive it. Amen just means so be it. Or as Margie would say, truth. I love that Paul constantly interjects the message of the gospel throughout everything he writes, throughout his letters. God made him to, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God. There's the gospel. Everywhere you read the letters, the gospel is intertwined. Even when he's just giving instruction or leading the church, he's always, always bringing in the message of the gospel. Another thread brought about in this letter is that Christ himself causes us to stand firm and he anointed us. Christian, the word Christian means little anointed one. We are little Christ on this earth. And he gave us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And you can only have the Holy Spirit when you come to Christ. That is what is given us when we give our life to Christ. He comes in us. We have the Holy Spirit. And it's something that you don't experience without Christ. So you don't get it. You don't know it. You don't understand it until you come to Christ. And then it's like, wow. But nobody outside of Christ can receive that. He constantly interjects in his letter the mission saying that we are an aroma to the world of either death or life, that we are ambassadors to this world, that we are or should be compelling people to come to Christ, to be reconciled to Christ. This is our assignment. This is our responsibility. This We are all called to be ambassadors, and you heard this in the previous messages, and, and I encourage you to, to listen to them all if you haven't heard them, to continue to read this book so we can really grasp it. Because this, this is such an important theme, that we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the ambassadors, the heralders, the messengers of the gospel. And so who are we bringing this message to? Are we fulfilling our roles as ambassadors? This is not for pastors. This is for every single believer in Christ.
Paul emphasizes the comparison, I love this, of the shortness of this life to eternity, mortality versus eternal life, our bodies being a temporary tent that will be destroyed and replaced with a new body that we will live in forever. Therefore, we do not just live for this life. If we live in this awareness and understanding that he brought out, it will affect every area of our life. It will affect our priorities. It will affect our decisions. It will affect how we raise our children. It will affect how we pray, how we come to church, how we live our lives. And Paul says that being away from the body is to be home with the Lord and vice versa. Being in the body is to be away from the Lord for that real um, full connection. And this is why we don't grieve so hard as others when, when our loved ones go to be with the Lord. It's, it's so different. And, and I've had so many experiences in the past couple of years of people that clo- are close to me that have gone to be with the Lord and others who have experienced the same. And it's just, you know, the thing that alleviates the pain is I, I would get to see them. God would allow me to see them in his kingdom. And, and wow, there's, there's no way I'd ever be able to talk them to coming back, even if I tried to raise them from the dead and had the faith. In fact, if we remember the story of Smith Wigglesworth, he raised his wife from the dead. He, he had so much faith. And when he raised her from the dead, she got angry and upset at him and said, why did you do that? Leave me alone. Let me go. And she went back to be with the Lord. That's how awesome it is. So we understand that. And, and in, with that understanding, you know, we've, we've sent many dear saints off to Jesus, but it's also why we should be bringing our loved ones who are still here on earth and don't know Christ to him. I have led just about all of my family members to the Lord, and I did not cease praying for them until it happened. My parents, my grandparents, almost all my siblings still working on one or two, extended family members, neighbors, Because of that, I've not only seen these people come to Christ, but I've seen my children, my grandchildren, my nieces and nephews, all of their souls secured in Christ, knowing where they're going, many of them also in ministry. So so this is part of what we need to do and focus on. It's not just for us. And I'm telling you, you can do it. You just have to be determined. I prayed consistently and steadily for every one of my family members. They were the top of my list. I prayed for others, but they were the top of my list till they all came to know the Lord. In this letter, Paul was following up on his first letter to the Corinthian church. And he was following up to their response to his correction. And we're going to go a little more into that as we go into seven. He was very direct and had delivered some strong rebuke for the sin that was in their midst. The extreme case of immorality, their lack of discernment, their arrogance, their pompousness, thinking way too highly of themselves when they were indeed in a pretty deplorable state. He said he had to address them as worldly and immature baby Christians because of, and he was very, very direct, because of the jealousy, quarreling, competitiveness, arrogance, boasting, lack of having a nurturing community, disunity, fighting, some pretty bad immoral behaviors, warning them what could happen if they didn't repent. Now, we see in these letters the distress that was brought on, not just by the sin, but by the correction of the sin. Distress, um, even in in Paul's life, having to give this correction. And we're going to see this a little further. Um, He delivered a defense of his apostleship. And the right that he had to speak into their lives. So he speaks throughout this letter of his integrity, his sincerity. He needed to bring this defense. How he didn't use his money to make profit. Didn't use deception. Didn't distort the word of God. You understand that there are many people then that were doing that, just as there are today. He expressed the depth and sincerity of his love for them. How they themselves were his letter of recommendation. Yet he made no claims to himself, saying his competency came from Christ. He reveals the hard and painful place it was to be an overseer of the church. So I want to continue on in this letter as we read through chapter 7 and further build on the wisdom and the understanding that comes from Paul's word. Father, we thank you and we pray you'd speak to us as we go into this next portion of the letter to the Corinthians. Speak to our hearts. Make it relevant to us. Show us what we need to, to grab holds from this. God, let your Holy Spirit just move. Grow us as a church, grow us as individuals, continue to press us forward to do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, where we'll probably spend the most time on. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence of God. Now, this is a whole mouthful, and I, full, and I want to break it down a little. He first says, therefore, since we have these promises. What promises? Well, verse 1 in chapter 10 is a continuation of his train of thought from the end of chapter 6. As you know, this was just a letter. So in order to understand what those promises are, we need to see the end of chapter 6. We've seen many of them throughout the letter, but I believe he's mainly referring to what he said at the end of chapter 6, which is um, he's quoting the scriptures, he's quoting the Old Testament, and he said, I will live with them, this is God speaking, I will live with them and walk among them, I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and separate, be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And then he says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. So here are the promises. So he says, therefore, since we have these promises, these are the promises I believe he was speaking to at the moment. And he goes on to say, since we have these promises, the promises of God being a father to us, treating us as sons and daughters, being in our midst, he said, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence of God, reverence for God. So let's talk about this perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. How do you perfect, or another word for perfect is mature, develop. Um, how do you mature and develop holiness? How do you perfect holiness? How do you continue to develop holiness? Well, what is holiness? Well, first let me share what holiness is not. Holiness, as many of us have a, a wrong conception, and the pictures that are in our mind really speak to us and sometimes misguide us when it comes to reading the Word of God. Holiness is not living a perfect or a sinless life. And many of us think that. We see the pictures with the halos, um, and, and we think of holiness as being sinless. Holiness is not being sinless. Holiness means to be separated and when you're separated, like if you see a bunch of apples and you pick out the ones you want, you separated those apples for yourself. You go to the counter and you buy them. So those apples are holy. They're separated. So it's a separation. So it's a separation for the purposes of God. That's what holiness is. So Paul is quoting this scripture in Ezekiel 37 where God is telling his people to come out and be holy. Um, I mean, to come out and be separate. So when Paul says holiness, he's also quoting the scripture that is the definition of holiness. Come out and be separate. When God called the Israelites, he called them to be separate unto himself. He called them to be a people that would demonstrate who he was to the world. When God calls us, when we come to Christ, we are called to be separate. We are called to be a people separated unto God to show the world who he is. It doesn't mean we're perfect. And God knows we're not, all of us. Doesn't mean we're sinless. But God uses people that are still have flaws. So Paul is saying, come out and separate yourselves. Pull yourselves apart from the ways of the world. What are we separating ourselves from? We're not becoming monks in monasteries. We're not living in caves as, as many in the church had veered off and just totally, literally separated themselves from the world. There are times we need to separate ourselves just to maybe uh, get something more from God, to spend that time with him, to let him work with us. But we are not called to separate ourselves out of the world. That won't happen until Jesus comes and takes us or we die and go to be with him, whichever happens first. So it's not leaving the world. God calls us to be in the world, to be the light of the world. But we have to pull ourselves away from the ways of the world to separate ourselves for the purposes of God. God wants us to, uh, to dedicate ourselves to him. We're still in the world, but not of it. Holiness is not sinlessness. It's surrender of ourselves to God's intent and purposes through our lives to represent him. But there is another clause here in this scripture, the perfecting holiness. It's a decontaminating process. So we can't leave the world, but we need to decontaminate ourselves from the world. And so to give you a picture, you know, sometimes we see movies or shows or it actually happens in reality where, uh, especially in certain lab situations where people are 
are, 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 are in an environment, and all of a sudden that environment becomes toxic. You know, whether it was an anthrax invasion or uh, attack or something. And, and so they have to decontaminate. So they may go into some chamber, uh, some spraying water all over them and chemicals that will decontaminate them. You know, it'd be nice if we could just walk into a chamber and decontaminate ourselves from the toxicity of the world. But it doesn't work that way. But there is a way to decontaminate. We just have to learn what that is. So Paul says to purify ourselves from what contaminates our body and spirit, both outward behaviors and inward thinking. So the best way that we can go through the decontamination of, of what the world has instilled on us, what the world has impressed on us, what we may have picked up from the world and not even realized, but it's not of God. The way we do this is by living a life of prayer, of worship, and of attentiveness to the word of God. This is our decontaminating process. Listen to Romans 12.1. He says, Therefore I urge you in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So here is the holiness, the separation. Offer yourselves to God as a pleasing sacrifice. Separate yourself. Give yourself over to God. That doesn't mean that you have to be a nun or a priest, which is what I thought when I was young. It doesn't mean that you don't live in life and don't have a job, but you still can dedicate yourself to God. There have been people in marketplace um, that had jobs, you know, some of the greatest anointed people, such as uh, Smith, Smith Wigglesworth um, and others were, were plumbers, were were working in professions, but they had a passion and a, and a dedication and separated themselves to God. So he says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Then he goes on past the separation part. Verse 2 in Romans says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here is the decontamination process. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is sometimes all we see, but be conformed, uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how is your mind renewed? It's renewed through the washing of the water. It's renewed through the word. It's renewed through being in God's presence. It's renewed from understanding what his ways are versus the only other thing we see. And it's a process, so we just, we just need to start doing it. And the more we do it, the more this process will work through us. Regular worship, prayer, reading the word, and being in fellowship with other like-minded people is so crucial for your life, for your growth, for you to be purified. It's not something you can just do. I wish we could just walk in a chamber and it happens. But it happens as we are in his presence, it says that we are changed in the presence of the Lord. When we're worshiping him, when you're worshiping him here in the mornings and you really get into uh, his presence and open up your heart, God works in you and changes you. When you read his word, it not only gives you instruction, but it changes you. So it says, therefore, back to verse 1. Um, and we're just about finished. I told you that would be the longest. The rest we're going to walk through. It says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates and body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence of God. So going on to verse 2, he says, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. Paul continues to clarify their integrity and sincerity as overseers. And, and it was important because there were many people, in, first of all, they were being slandered. They were being spoken ill of. And there were people that were using the gospel for their own gain. But listen to what Paul says in his first letter to, to even expound on this more. He said, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are bu brutally treated. We are homeless. We work with our own hands. So besides, they weren't just even being supported by ministry, but they were working beside that. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. Wow. So Paul and those with him proved themselves in their lifestyle and their endurance and their responses, as do so many today. But it's not easy. 
Even though these apostles did nothing wrong, there was always a target on their backs. It's much of this just goes with the territory. The devil hates those that serve him in the office of pastors and overseers. Therefore, we need to all the more be supportive of those that are in those roles. Verse 3, he says, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. And, um, but verse 3, he goes on, I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts and we would live or die for you, with you. So Paul is again expressing, expressing his love, his emotion, his affection for them. And in his writings, he's been very direct. And in that being direct, when he had to correct them, when he had to rebuke them, which was pretty strong if you read the first letter, he's never looking to condemn but to correct for the sake of their souls and for the call of God that is upon them as individuals, as a church. It's not, and he's not just speaking to elders. He's speaking to everyone in the church. It's not usually pleasant to get straightened out, to get corrected, to have someone have to set some things in line. And so often people react. So Paul said earlier in the letter, in his letter too, he said, I'm, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Sometimes we feel a little shame and rebuke, but it's ultimately for our good. It's out of our heart of love and commitment to them that Paul took this chance on correcting because we're always taking a chance when we bring correction because of how people may react. You know, and sometimes we, we may feel bad, but we need to have that shaking and rattling and, and be able to take to heart what is being told us. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at any time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline trains us. Verse 4 in chapter 7 now, Paul said, I have spoken to you with great frankness. He did not hold back. He did not pull punches. No deceitfulness, no hidden agendas. And he said, I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles and my joy knows no bounds. Now, why is he saying this? He has joy and encouragement now because of their response to his correction, because of their repentance and their reciprocation of love for him. You know, he was taking a chance. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's hard. And I'm sure he experienced times when he had to do the same thing and he did not get the same response. But he was overjoyed because of their response to his very strong and harsh rebukes. Verse 5 to 7. He says, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Um, and he's going on again explaining all the other things. You know, sometimes uh, we think one little problem. Sometimes an overseer or somebody has to come and speak to our lives. And you have no idea what everything else that... And they, they needed to know everything else he was going through. It wasn't just Paul's... Um, Paul was struggling with the fact that he had to be this way with them. He was struggling he was hurt that he had to hurt them. But this wasn't his only struggle. So he's saying when we came into Macedonia, we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by coming to Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So you see, they weren't the cause of all Paul's hardship. They were just one piece of it, but they were the, his source of encouragement in the midst of all his hardships. So everything else he was going through and dealing with, their response brought him joy. Their response brought him encouragement. You have no idea the place and the role you can have in bringing joy and strength and encouragement to those that serve God, to those that are overseers, to those that are faced with things that you have no idea. Those of us that serve in these places of overseers are human. We bleed the same blood. We feel the same pain, not just physically, but emotionally. And then 
People have no idea how painful and burdensome the journey could be because of the burdens on multiple platforms. We experience conflicts personally in our marriages, with our kids, in the world, with opposition because of the gospel, and in the church with things we have to work through. Bishop and I, Pastor Mike, carry the burden not only for our church campuses, but the church of our city and the church of our nation especially in these tumultuous times. So our concern and our burden is not just for here, although our first priority is here, but it's also for the entire body of Christ because where God has placed us. We are concerned and burdened for the church at large, and we care about how that goes because the church is a representation of Jesus on this earth, and one church cannot do it alone. It's all of us collectively that have to do it. At the same time, we care deeply for the people here that God has given us to serve and to be overseers to in a more intimate way. In fact, we've, we've forged bonds of friendship with those in our church, which should be the case. I remember uh, one of the pastors I had been under in ministry said, never be friends with anyone in the congregation, and it just didn't sit right with us. Because I guess whatever reasons, you know, then it could be painful, so I think part of this was just, you know, avoid the friendships, you avoid the pain. But Jesus was friends with his disciples. So, so my husband and I said, we don't feel that that's right. And so as we discipled people, they also became our friends. And so um, sometimes those bonds can comfort and off so often do. And sometimes they can cause discouragement when they're deserted and broken and all ministers, all pastors experience that. And it's a great, it's a painful place to be in that all pastors walk through. So I encourage you to pray for pastors. Sometimes because of the devil's scheme, sometimes because people just don't know how to walk through principles of walking together, thick and thin, through storms and challenges. Not just when it's all going well, but when it's hard. And Paul went through that when sometimes in the very thick of things, people deserted him. And he was not happy. In fact, he was so upset that when they wanted to bring this trust, this one person back to work with them, he, he wouldn't do it. They had to talk him into it because he deserted him in one of the hardest times. And so this is something that we experience um, in, in, in more than the average person. We experience it at such a greater level. So you understand that. Verse 8. And I also want to say that there's been people in this church that have, on the, have been so encouraging. And um, that's really been what holds us on. The people that have been there thick and thin. The people that have not let themselves waver. You know, whether it was through offense, whether it was through correction, whether it was an all-out fight we had to have together. You know, that happens. When you work closely together, there's going to be some friction. But you learn to work through it for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the church. And that's why when we continue to read through Corinthians in the second book of Corinthians, we're going to see a whole lot of that, a whole lot of him really spelling that out, how to do that. So in verse 8, he says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. So you see this conflict in Paul. He was so terrified of causing sorrow in them, but he had to do it. So he said, I don't regret it. He said, I did regret it, but now I don't regret it because I see, uh, I see that my letter hurt you. That's why he regretted it, but only for a little while. Paul was upset and conflicted that he hurt them. But the need for godly confrontation and correction in our lives is so crucial. We need people to speak into our lives. You need people to speak into your life, even if it hurts. Rather than run, let God have his perfect way in you. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Not because they're trying to lord it over you. Not because they're trying to pull some power play or on some trip, power, ego trip. But because they watch over your souls as those will, that will have to give account for you. When we stand before God, we will give account for every person he put in our care. That's heavy. 
So he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, which is what Paul was now experiencing, the joy. And he says in Hebrews, for this would not be, would be unprofitable for you. So he's saying, when you don't do this, it's not just unprofitable for the overseer, but it's unprofitable for you. Verse nine, he says, now I am happy. See, he's going through a whole gamut of emotions here, you see. Um, now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, so we're not harmed in any way by us. Paul was so afraid that, that his correction would have somehow brought some kind of detrimental um, outcome, but it didn't. It became what God intended. Sometimes we look at accountability and may think that it's wrong. We don't like when people say stuff that may be offensive to us. But would you rather have someone say something that is nice and sweet that makes you feel good? Or would you rather have someone who calls out our weakness to make us stronger, even if it hurts when we're going through the process? And that's a quote from Pastor Mike because he, he sent me his notes that I was able to add to mine. Next is mine. That's too many soft Christians, marshmallow Christians. We need to feel the twang of pains at time to work good in our lives. God does not want his kids to be cowards because we can't take something someone's speaking frankly to us. And he is not favorable towards quitters. So are you going to quit when it's hard or when someone hurts your feelings? Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Sorry for my sarcasm. But you know, how will you ever get strong? And I'm warning you now that if you haven't experienced this yet, you will. When someone calls you out, it may hurt. But an overseer in your life is doing it because they love you and they want to see you do better and pursue Christ more. We can't take on the, the nature of the culture around us. We have to keep getting in that contamination place. Because now in the world, we, we can't, the world, the culture of the world that placates to just walking on eggshells, lest somebody takes offense. Everybody's afraid of saying something that's going to offend somebody. Now, I'm not advocating for intentional malice or ignorant insensitivity. But I can't be afraid that if I have to correct you that you're going you're gonna to run somewhere else. And the principle for the body of, this is a principle for the body of Christ. It's not for the world. This isn't what we're called to do for those that are outside the body of Christ. We are responsible for those that are inside the church. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There is a sorrow that is godly, and we need to recognize the difference. It has good results. So there is godly sorrow that has good results. The results speak for themselves. I have prayed for people to be miserable. I have prayed for everything to go wrong in their life, for affliction that will bring them back to a surrender to Christ, not because I want to see them suffer, because I want to see them be in the right place and not lose their soul. The church Paul was addressing at first was not repentant until Paul's strong letter. The correction was to the whole church, not just the individual caught in the immorality that is spoken about. Paul had to come in strong, and what was going on had to be addressed. But Paul wasn't sure how it was going to land, how they were going to respond, and he was so overjoyed with the outcome, and we continue to see that in these next last verses he said, see what godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong or on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you, all of you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. So Paul's correction pulled out of them what was in them and needed to surface. It showed what they were really made of. It pulled out such a good thing in them. He didn't know 
if that was going to be the result. Trials and correction will either pull out of us the good or cause us to walk away. So he was overjoyed to see what it did. And it goes on in verse 13 and 15. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. When Paul sent Titus, he didn't know what was going to happen. And he said, I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has been proven true as well. And his affection for you, Titus's affection for them, is all greater, is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. You know, sometimes the, the tough interpersonal experiences build and increase our affection. Sometimes I know with so many people that I've been through struggles with, but as we work it through, that affection, that bond is strengthened even more. Better than people running from correction and offense challenge, becoming proud in their own eyes, starting all over again because they couldn't deal with the pressure and process of working through a challenge, a relationship, and a rebuke when needed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I am not just an overseer, but a father to you. And that has always been the posture and position of Bishop and I to those in the church. In fact, when we would bring people on to train them for leadership, we'd make it very clear part of that training has to be that we can speak into your life, that, that we can be able to address things in your life and not in an inordinate way, but when needed. And then so we still have countless number of people that we have discipled. Many, they, they've had to move to other places, but still call us mom and dad and still attribute their where they're at now to what we poured into their life when they were here. Paul said, I'm not just an overseer, but a father. And, and, and so we need to allow that. And often, not only is it the offense of the person that we correct, but others take the side of the hurt person instead of understanding and trusting the hard places that leaders are put in. We've had our full of those situations. One person takes offense, they take all, every friend they can with them. You want to be a good friend? When someone complains to you, encourage them to look hard at it. Encourage them to take it to heart. Encourage them to see what may be real in that, what they can pull out of that rather than taking on their offense. It's not easy, but the joy is in the outcomes. I have seen many abandon us, but I have so many more that are continuing in what was built in their lives through our deep discipleship process, and they give me great joy. The Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Again, that correlation as a spiritual overseer is a, is a father, is a mother. And that's how we feel. And we thank God for those that continue, whether they are physically here or moved away. They are our pride and joy. You guys that continue and press in our pride and joy, our delight. And so we want to encourage you. This is part of discipling part of being discipled, part of your growth is having spiritual overseers in your life. There are many out there. We've seen abusive leadership. It exists sometimes because the person that's a leader has their own issues, sometimes because they're misusing their position. But that doesn't mean that the principle doesn't stand. And we have walked through it with leadership in our lives. We had one person that was speaking into our lives, me and my husband, years ago when we were in a very vulnerable place and was telling us one thing and encouraging us to do this, this, A, B, and C, and then went to our elders and said, 
oh, they're doing A, B, and C. That's really bad. But meanwhile, he was the one that told us to do that. And he was trying to undermine us because he wanted to take the church. And he was already in cahoots with another pastor to completely take over the church and get rid of us. It was devastating. I don't see my husband cry many times, but he cried. We moved on. We said goodbye, sent the person on a plane, never saw him again. Talked to our elders. God brought it all out. God revealed it. We connected strong with our elders and were able to circumvent it, mainly because we were in a lot of prayer, mainly because we were, uh, we were people that pray, that hear from God, that move in the prophetic, that discern things because of the Holy Spirit that you can't tell with your natural eye. And before that happened, I remember I was in a, my, my husband was away with this person that was supposed to be his overseer on a retreat. And I was with some women and, you know, when the men were away, the women got together at one of our houses and we just decided to pray while we were together. It's always a good thing to pray. You can stop and pray at any time for anything. It can be two minutes. It can be five minutes. God may move on you and it can be an hour. It doesn't matter. Always make it just a part of your everyday life because you never know what's going to happen. We had no idea. We were just going to pray a minute. And all of a sudden, God moved on us and, and revealed to us that something wrong was going on in that retreat. And we had to pray, and we prayed, and we prayed. And the next morning, it was uncovered when, when my husband spoke to the elders. And that's when we sent this man on a plane, said goodbye, never saw him again. But you know what? My husband knew he needed oversight in his life and spiritual covering. So you know what he did? He found another person. God sent us somebody. And that person is still in his life and still the person he goes to and still the person that speaks into his life. So you see, he didn't let one bad experience stop him from doing what is right. We can't let bad apples spoil the bunch. We have to still do the right thing. We have to learn to trust again. And so I encourage you that Take this principle. We need spiritual oversight. We need, we need spiritual authority. We need people that are mothers and fathers in our lives that will care for our souls, that are overseeing our souls, that want to see us do well. Find somebody. Find somebody in this church that you can connect to like that. It's so important. It will cause you to grow. Find somebody you can build a trusting relationship with. And even friends can be good. You know, we don't want just friends that are going to appease us. And so somebody said this to me. Oh, yes, yeah, somebody said that to you. Well, they're a rotten person, you know. And we, and we just, we want to be able to be friends that can build each other up and make and help each other to see things and face things that we may be afraid to. And there's so much intricacy involved in that. A lot of it's going to be in my book that's almost finished. So I can't wait till you guys can get a hold of it. But we're going we're gonna to pray. And as we close, I'm going to just ask as we pray. If there's anyone here that you've never made that first step to come to Christ. I can't see all the faces because these spotlights are on me. And. Um, but I see some. But if you're here, you've never really made that decision to give yourself to Christ, to surrender your life to him, then I want you uh, to pray this prayer. Everyone pray with me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving your life for me in exchange for my sins. So I can have your righteousness. I believe that you died and rose again. And I receive your gift of salvation. And my wholeness. That was purchased by your blood. In Jesus name. And give me the Holy Spirit. As that guarantee. Father, if anyone prayed this right now, I just pray you fill them with your Holy Spirit. Just reach out your hand. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them, fill them, fill them with your Holy Spirit, God. And help them on their path to you. Now, there may be others that you've come to Christ, but you feel like you need to come to that place of holiness, of really being willing to 
separate yourselves for the purposes of God. Not take yourself out of the world, but just allow your life to be used for the Lord, for his purpose. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to come up for prayer. We're going to ask our prayer team to come. And, um, you know, we want to be able to pray for you, our prayer team, um, for your comfort. We'll wear a mask, but we, I'm just so glad to see that the cases of COVID are almost down to nothing, almost down to zero. I think it was down to 12% in the city. So we're really thankful. How many are thankful? We've just been praying this through and believing God. So um, if, you, if you're uncomfortable, that's fine, you know, but... Uh, we want more of our prayer team if you can come up and uh, we're going to worship and I encourage you to come up and let someone pray with you and for you. This is part of others speaking into your life and the best way we can speak into your life is to pray and hear what God is saying for you and, and encourage you with the words that God wants to say over your life. Thank you, Father. We pray that you will move. Let's Let's all stand. Father, we pray that you will move and work in our midst that you will grow us grow this church grow us as individuals help us to follow your ways help us to continue to press forward help us to be the salt and the light that you need us to be god and we just i just pray you move on every single person here encouraging them strengthening them convicting them god we receive not only your your comfort, but your conviction when we need it. Those of us that need to repent of things, Father, we want to lay it at your feet. Those of us that just need you to pick us up out of a really hard place, God, we want you to do that. Whatever it is, Father, your spirit is here to work and to move. And if you're home watching this, Father, we pray that you would move right there in their homes. Let your Holy Spirit go out and meet those needs and bring them to a place where they can once again be in fellowship as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.